The title of this morning's message is this, The Richest Place. And if you look over here at, at my left, your right, you'll see this graveyard scene that we have built here this morning. You'll see the dirt piled up and you'll see the headstones there. You'll see everything that looks like a grave site, even down to the fence that we have. Now listen to this quote by Les Brown. He said, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here that you will find the hopes and the dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, and the cures that were never discovered. All because someone was too afraid to take that first step, too afraid to keep pressing on through the problem, or too determined to carry out their dream. The graveyard is the richest place on earth. Here, there are books that were never written, songs that were never sung, cures that were never invented, all because somebody was afraid to take the first step or afraid to do greater things. As we let that sink in for just a second, I don't want you at the end of your life looking back with a whole bucket list of would-haves, could-haves, should-haves. How, how did I miss this opportunity? I wish I would have wrote that book that I always had deep in my heart on the inside of me. Well, sit down and start writing. I wish I would have began to play an instrument because I really feel that I had it in me. I just never had the faith to step out and do it. Last week we talked about parents. The worst thing you can do is give up everything for your kids. The greatest thing you can do is become everything for your kids. We're stepping into that this morning on an unprecedented level. It's time for you to become something. Not for your kids, but for your Savior. Not for your kids, but for Christ. Whatever you have deep down on the inside of you, and some of you thinking, Pastor, you keep saying that, but I have nothing. No, you got something. <laughs> you just may have to ask God to move some of the dirt off the grave and so you can begin to see it. You got something because you were created with a plan and a purpose. God didn't say in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for just Joel, not the rest of the congregation. He said, I know the plans that I have for you. <laughs> and if God had a plan for you, it's your purpose to discover it. If God had a plan for you, it's, your, it's your, uh, within you to dig it up and to find what your purpose in life is. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you what your purpose in life is. Because if I tell you, you'll put faith in Joel, not faith in Christ who is the revealer of it. It's time for you to discover your destiny, your purpose, and your passion in life. I put a quote on Facebook a few months back. I want to live a lifestyle where I never have to take a vacation from it. Come on, think about that. Some of y'all live from vacation to vacation. I want to develop a lifestyle that I never have to take a vacation from. Because I enjoy doing what I do that much. It's time that we find that purpose, that passion. Now, we just came out of a series where we talked about getting free, being free, and staying free. And now that we are free, it's time that we discover free to do what? God didn't set you free to do nothing. He set you free because he had, to, had something for you to do. God didn't set you free so you could come into church and say, I'm free, I'm free, and sing a happy song and say, I'm free. No, he set you free so now he can give you a plan and a purpose and a destiny to go do something with your newfound freedom. He set you free, but to do what? To do what is what we're going to discover. Now listen, many Christians that were slaves and bondage to, to things that were going on in their life, whether it be physical or spiritual or emotional, experienced freedom, but they asked, what do we do next? The biggest problem in the church is we're good at setting people free, but we're not telling them what to do next. The prostitute says, good, I'm free, but what do I do now? The alcoholic says, I'm free, but what do I do now that I'm not drunk all the time? What do I do with my time? What do I do with my money? What do I do with my life? I'm free, but to do what? I'm going to take you on a little history lesson here this morning, and I'm going to read to you a quote out of the textbook uh, written by Tyndall and Shee in 1996, and it says, Freed or former slaves did not see an ending to their suffering when they were granted emancipation or when slavery ended 
at the time of the end of the Civil War, even though they were given the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment rights, as they were given freedom from being slaves, they were made citizens of the United States, and the men were even given the right to vote, the Reconstruction plans pursued by different groups of people in power allowed for constitutional rights to be given and legal rights to be given to former slaves, but they did nothing to provide a way for those people to make a living. Now, we understand that as we celebrate, celebrated the end of the Civil War, slaves were set free. Many slaves ended up worse off in freedom than they ever did in slavery because they were free, but free to do what? They weren't given an education. They weren't given a job. They weren't given land. They weren't given a house. So now they found themselves homeless, homeless uneducated, without a job, and without a vision, spiritually Adapt to the concept, many Christians find themselves out of slavery, out of bondage, set free from addictions, set free from problems, set free from things, but now that they're out of this issue, they find themselves uneducated, without purpose, without passion, without destiny, and they're worse off than they were than in slavery. Because in slavery, at least they identified to something, and they knew they had to do something to get fixed. Now they identify to nothing, and they feel like nothing. The textbook goes on to say this, the freed men no longer had to work on plantations, but they were not given an alternative way to make a living. In 1865, General Sherman tried to give emancipated slaves coastal areas in the islands of Georgia and South Carolina by promising 40 acres and a mule, which the government denied it. And this is what one black American freed slave said. And I'm going to read it the exact way it says it, okay? This is a quote, and I can get you the quote. It says, Give us our own land, and we can take care of ourselves. But without the land, the old masses can hire us or starve us. They do as they please. I've never seen of a more hopeless quote in my life. And the problem is, as we think of the American Civil War and how slaves were set free and all the things that happened, and we look at that, it's like, oh my goodness. I'm glad they're set free, but we, we did a great injustice to people who have been set free by not giving them something to precede or follow after that. We in the church cannot fall victim to the same mistake. After we have set people free from addictions and problems and pornographies and, 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 and all the issues of life, of bad marriages, of things like that, if we don't give them something to bank their life on, to put their life into and invest themselves into, they'll go back to the same life of slavery because it's how they've always identified with something. Now, in a spiritual concept on this, if you have been set free from something, and you can watch the video of all the people who were set free from something, everything that you were set free from, you need to find a purpose in Christ for. Everything that you've been set free from, you need to find a purpose in Christ and move forward. If you were set free from family crisis, it's time you find a, a purpose in your family because all that time you spent arguing has got to be filled with something Come on now, y'all should have got on that one. <laughs> so you're like, I know we hadn't argued in a week, but we hadn't had much conversation either because we ain't got nothing to argue about. <laughs> See, some people have lived in dysfunction so long that when they start flying normal, it's weird, so they go back to dysfunction. I'll give you a perfect analogy of what I'm talking about. It is the weirdest thing in the world for me to preach on this side of the stage. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, I keep gravitating over here because I've been over here ever since we built this building. And I did this on purpose because when you start shifting things in your life, it's weird being over here until you get used to being over here. And these people over here are thinking, good, I don't got to look at your backside all the time. <laughs> now, come on, in your life, when you shift something that dramatically, you're going to have to walk stably in something 
so you don't go back to what you came out of. It happened physically with the slaves. And I, now forget back in 1865 when slaves were free. Let's go to the year 2015 now when we pull kids out of the sex slave industry by the droves and we're helping do it. Amen. Through missionaries around the world, through our missionaries in Thailand, through our missionaries, we're all over the world. We're pulling sex slaves out of the sex slave industry. But if we don't give them a purpose, they're going to go right back to what they've been ingrained in. Forget slavery 1865. I'm talking modern day slavery. If you have been set free, I cannot emphasize this point enough. If you have been set free from depression, you better find a purpose. Because without it, you're going to say, I've been set free, but to do what? And without finding the to do what, you're going to go right back to depression. You're going to fall back into the exact same state that you were. I'll read this um, verse to you that backs this up. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And everybody celebrates. Everybody say amen. amen. For freedom, Christ has set us free. But it goes on to say, stand firm, therefore. Now, those are some of my three favorite words. Stand firm. We talked about standing firm through the whole last series. Therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> the therefore is therefore because of what Christ has set us free from. But it goes on to say, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So Paul is saying the exact same thing. Paul is saying, you've been set free, and praise God, Christ has set you free. That's what he came to do, is make you a free person in Christ Jesus. And so stand, therefore, in your newfound freedom, because if you don't, you're going to put on again the yoke of your addiction, the yoke of your depression, the yoke of your poverty, the burden of your marriage crisis, the burden of your family crisis, I, I, I've seen this happen time and time again through counseling. People get their life fixed. They get it changed by coming to counseling, coming to church. Life gets good. They quit coming to church. Three months later, they're back in marriage crisis. What's the common denominator? Well, I just don't know what happened. Things were going so good. I know what happened. You didn't stay in a place that would hold you standing firm and straight called the church. So in this, if you've been set free, it's time that we find a purpose and a passion and a destiny for you. And listen to this. From a moment... Now we switch it to a lifetime. From a moment of freedom. You remember the moments of freedom throughout that past series? Not just the, the video day, but the moments of freedom throughout that past series that we experienced all throughout the series. How do we transition from a moment to a lifetime? That's the big question. A one-time experience with Christ was amazing. You got born again. But many of you, because you just lived in the moment, you didn't try to make it a lifetime, you only remember the day you got saved and God hasn't done nothing with you since. Same thing. How do we transition from a moment to a lifetime? From in the minute to a lifetime of stability and standing firm and holding strong and being free. From a moment to a lifetime. And I've hit this point more than any other point than I've done in the history of the church over the past eight months. And I'm going to say it again this morning, and I said it last week. And we're plowing some new ground this morning, so get ready, because this has got to sink in. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant it literally. If you haven't got it by now, I'm praying that you get it, because I don't know how many more times I can say it. <laughs> when he said, follow me, he meant it literally so much that he mentions it more than 20 times in the four Gospels. Jesus says, follow me 20 times throughout the four Gospels. And he meant it literally not figuratively. Follow me does not mean go to church. That's not what follow me means. Follow me means does not teach a Sunday school class. That's not what follow me means. Follow me means literally this. Follow me. When a disciple went to follow Jesus, he left his house, his kids, and he walked with Jesus for three years. The 12 disciples did. 
They came back and made family visits. They came back and did things. But they literally followed him so close that there's a saying called being covered in the dust of the rabbi where you walk so close behind your rabbi, literally the dust from his feet covers you after a day of walking. And it was a great honor to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That means you were following him literally that close. Wouldn't it be great to follow Jesus so close that the after anointing of the miracles that he did fell on you? Wouldn't it be an amazing thing to follow Jesus so close that when he walked on water, you got to do it too? Wouldn't it be amazing to follow Jesus so close that when he raised somebody from the dead that you got life imparted into you just because dead things got raised up all around? Amen. I'm talking let's follow Jesus that close. Well, pastor, if we're supposed to do it literally and Jesus is not literally here, how do I do that? You do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. You follow the Holy Spirit so close that the anointing of him just falls off on you. And this is why um, when they walked through the streets and their shadows fell on people, people were healed. Read the book of Acts, the actions of the first church, what it's about. In this process, when Jesus said, follow me, he meant do it literally. Now, now here's the thing. As we read this passage of scripture, and we read verse 12, and it says, Barely, or Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified. You may ask me for anything in my, in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. I want to stop here on verse 15 for just a second. Because the way we've broken down the Bible in the Western culture does a great injustice to the context of the message. Okay? Because in your Bibles, almost everyone, if you have a paper version of your Bible or even electronic, open it up to John 14. And at the end of greater things than these of verse 14, it stops and you have a paragraph break and a subheading where you quit reading but Jesus didn't quit talking. Come on now. <laughs> You quit reading, Jesus didn't quit talking. And he said, if you love me, if you love me, he said, keep my commands. Now here's the problem with this. When you hear commands, what do you think of? Automatically, 90% of our minds go back to Old Testament. Automatically, 90% of our mindsets go back to Old Testament. Well, I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. We got this to-do list of do's and don'ts. Don't drink, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't do this. I gotta read my Bible, I gotta pray, I gotta worship, I gotta, I gotta, I don't, I don't, I gotta, I gotta, I don't, I don't. I cannot think of a more miserable existence in my life than that. Okay? That's a miserable way to exist. And that's not what Jesus was saying. Now listen to what what he is saying, and I'm going to prove this to you doctrinally, so that way when you leave here, people can say, well, that's not really what he's meaning. No, this is really what Jesus was meaning. The paragraph shouldn't have stopped there, and there shouldn't have been the break, and it should go from 14 right into 15, and it shouldn't have stopped, because Jesus, when he is talking about this, our minds go back to the Old Testament, but Jesus prefaces it forward and goes into the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. So what is the command that Jesus is telling us to keep? If you love me, keep my commands. Our minds go back to Old Testament do's and don'ts. Jesus is saying, now I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you can follow in his dust and his anointing can fall off on you. If we don't get that, we, we may as well not even do this series. The doctrinal purpose that Jesus was trying to get across is quit looking back and start looking to what I'm fixing to do ahead of you. His purpose was, if you follow me, ask me whatever you wish, and I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to talk to him about it, and you'll do even greater things than me. If you love me and keep my commands, you're going to do greater things is what he's talking about. The command that he was telling you to keep is to go do greater things, not go live in the Old Testament. The command he was telling you to keep, and doctrinally you can prove it out, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and go do greater things than Jesus himself has ever done. 
I understand that's blowing your mind. Some of your minds are being blown theologically right now. You're just sitting here thinking, what, what do I do? I've never even been taught to think on my own, much less do something on my own. Here's what you do. You stay with us and we walk you through your process to get you to your destiny. Okay? If this sounds foreign to some of you this morning, stick with us. We're going to walk you through a process to get you to your destiny. And just as I promised in the first 10 weeks of the year, if you'll stick with us all 10 weeks, I'll set you free from anything that you have going on in your life because this is a pattern through the scripture how to set people free. I'll give you the goods to do it. Same thing through this next eight week series on this. If you don't have a destiny or a purpose, stick with us through the next eight weeks and you'll start doing greater things than you've ever done. And Christ is going to begin to move in your life like never before. Now listen to this, when, God, when Christ said you'll do even greater things than these, do not start thinking about all the junk you got to do as a Christian. Jesus was literally saying this, and, and take this kind of tongue in cheek, he was literally saying this, if you follow me, I'll take you on an Indiana Jones style adventure. I mean, I love some old school Indiana Jones, I mean, crazy. And my favorite scene, and y'all may say, well, that's not very churchy, well, there's a lot of stuff about Indiana Jones that's not churchy, okay? And so I already brought it up. My favorite thing about it is when he gets off the plane and there's this dude with two swords and he's doing all this crazy stuff. You remember? And he says, bang. <laughs> My favorite part. Because literally what God wants to do is take you on such an adventure with such power, it doesn't matter how crazy awesome the devil looks, you're just like, bang, I'm going on with my destiny. I'm going to find what he's called me to get and I'm going to be who he's called me to be. And listen, I love Indiana Jones because you just watch that movie and there's the craziest stuff that happens. And if you, you can watch the Temple of, the Doom, Temple of Doom, Raiders of the Lost Ark, any of them, they're crazy. Especially little Asian guy, Dr. Jones, right? <laughs> you know you love him too. And you live the adventure with Indiana Jones and you love his hat and you love the whip that he has and you love all the crazy stuff that he does. That's what Christ wants you to go on with him. He doesn't want you to sit in the church and be preached at and have a miserable existence. And one day get to heaven and you look over here and he says, I had all this great stuff, but you decided to live in a graveyard. I had this great adventure that starts with baptism, but you wanted to stay dry and dead. Do you just see by looking at the stage where we're transitioning from dry and dead to a baptism with new life? Do you even understand the concept here? We're trying to get you to a place. We're trying to get you somewhere. And to get you somewhere, you've got to put on your Indiana Jones adventure hat. You've got to put it on. You've got to be willing to go do things that you've never done. You've got to be willing to eat some crazy food that you've never eaten. You've got to be willing to go on an adventure that literally can risk your life. But if you don't do it, you're already dead. If you don't begin to go live an adventure of your life, you're already dead anyway. And I don't want to be ugly, but there's a lot of other churches that you can go sit in and be dead. But it's not this one. It's not this one. I will not let you stay in here and be dead. I will make sure life gets imparted to you. Even if you, i got to tie you to myself and just the dust of me rubs off on you, you're not going to hang around me and not live. You will not be a ball and chain dragging me down. I'm going to make sure life comes into you. And we will live as a church. He said, follow me, not for a moment, but for a lifetime. Some of the first things you got to do is go to the graveyard. I'm going to read this quote once again, and I pray it has new meaning. Look over here and just begin to focus right there for a second at the graveyard scene that we have. Begin to focus on it and begin to think, what adventure have I always wanted to do for Christ? Maybe it's I want to go to kids camp this year. Lord help you. Maybe it's I want to help Damon out with the youth or with rage or with, or with relentless. Come on, it's an adventure. 
Maybe you don't want to just sit in church anymore, but you want to start doing something in church that will give you life so then you can begin to live outside the church. Focus on this. This, the graveyard, is the richest place on earth because it is right here that you'll find your hopes and dreams that you never fulfilled. You'll find the books that you were supposed to write and that you never wrote. You'll find the songs that you were supposed to sing and never sung. You'll find here the inventions that you were supposed to invent but never did. It's here that you'll find the cures for every disease in the world that you were supposed to discover, but you decided to stay working at your 9 to 5 because someone was too afraid to take a first step, because someone saw the problem was too big. Someone didn't determine themselves to carry out their dream. The graveyard, the richest place in the world. It's also the saddest place in the world. You don't see many celebrations at the graveyard, but you see tears, pain, and grief. I want to address your feelings for a minute because when we start talking about resurrecting dreams, hope, and desires, some of you are going to have a lot of negative feelings that come up with it. Of I tried this once in my life, Pastor, and it didn't work out. And I was hurt so bad because I stepped out in my dream because you encouraged me to. And now I'm hurt because of it. You're going to have to address some old feelings in your life. You're going to have to address some old problems in your life. Through every experience, something occurs. Something good, something bad. Through every experience, something occurs. The problem with the something occurring is this. If it's good, you can develop lie-based thinking. If it's bad, you can develop lie-based thinking. Some of you have a great marriage, and so you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't understand why every marriage isn't great, right? That's a lie-based thing, because every marriage is not great, because everybody goes into a marriage with different baggage. Some of you have had a horrendous marriage and say, I'll never get married again because of your negative circumstances that happened in your marriage. Both are lie-based thinking. You need to be set free from your lie-based thinking. And here's the great thing about your feelings, whether good or bad, whether positive or negative, they run concurrent with your belief system. They run concurrent with your belief system. Your feelings, they run on a parallel with what you believe. Let, let me explain this. Many of you who have had a negative uh, circumstance in a, in a relationship, whether it be boyfriend or girlfriend or marriage or anything like this, you have this negative thing of feelings about relationships. Therefore, you don't enter into a relationship. Your feelings run concurrent with what you believe. And many times your feelings dictate what you believe more than the Word of God does. I'll prove it to you. I really, really believe that the word of God says to tithe, and I believe in tithing, but if you don't do it, you don't believe it. You do what you really believe. You really do what you really believe. You, you really do what you really believe to the point of, what is your favorite TV show? You make it a point to watch it, don't you? You really do what you really believe in. And so if you look at your lifestyle, if you really do what you really believe in, and your feelings run concurrent with what you really believe, Look at your schedule and find how much you believe the word of God and how much you believe in your nine to five. How much you believe in the word of God and how much you believe in your family values. How much you believe in the word of God and how much you believe the, the little square box that hangs on your wall that imparts more information into you than the word of God. It's the richest place on earth, but it's the saddest. Today we begin to bring things back to life. It's the richest place on the earth, but it's the saddest place on the earth, but it's also this. It's the scariest place on earth. Whenever you see of a graveyard, you see these. You always see horror films, especially back in the 60s, 70s. They were always based where? At, at a graveyard. At a graveyard. And so though it may be the richest place with hopes, dreams, and desires, it can be the most hurtful place, but can also be the scariest place because this. Because here is where you've tried or you believed in the past, 
And if it didn't work out the way you wanted and it failed in your opinion, it failed, it's scary to go back and revisit a failure. It's scary to go back and look at a failed point in your life and say, i got to revisit that place. I love what a president said one time. He said, failure is not an option. Here's the thing. In Christianity, it needs to be phrased different. The fear of failure is not an option. The fear of failure cannot be an option for a believer. Because if the fear of failure becomes an option, that means you're operating by fear and not by faith. Now, I'm not saying you can't be nervous when you step out to do it. (laughs) I still get nervous every morning when I step on stage, especially this morning with the podium over there. (laughs) I still get nervous every Sunday before I come up to preach. And I've been doing it for 15 years. And I still get nervous. But I don't let the fear of failing stop me from stepping up on stage. Some of you have let the fear of failure paralyze you, and so now you don't even step out anymore. So even though it's a sad place, even though it's a hurtful place, and even though now it's a scary place, it's a place that we must go visit and get a correct perspective on and change our feelings about. It's a place we must go visit and get a correct perspective on and say, I will not fear you any longer. And it's time that we begin to look at that and call up dead dreams, desires, and visions and say, Jesus, it's time that I follow you to greater things. It's time that I follow you to greater things. So even though it's the scariest place and even though it's the saddest place, it's the richest place because if you can trust Jesus with your sadness and your grief, he can turn your mourning into dancing. If you can trust Jesus with your sadness and your grief, He'll turn your mourning into dancing. If you can trust Jesus over your shortcomings, your fears, and your failures, he'll make your past failures a stepping stone for your future. He'll make your past failures a stepping stone for your future. And the question I have for you is one thing this morning. Just one simple thing. You don't have to know what your destiny is. I can talk to Damon, and Damon can talk to me, and we know what we're supposed to do in the moment right now, and maybe for the next couple years. I don't know what his end-long destiny is, and he doesn't know what mine is, because I don't even know what mine is. I have a vision of what I would like it to be, and God continually constructs it and corrects it and moves it. But I don't have the end picture, that I, uh, end goal that I'm going to, because I don't want to die, personally. When you get to the end, it's done. So God continues to expand it. So I'm not saying you've got to have the whole picture in mind. I'm saying you've got to make one decision, and that decision is this. Yes or no? Will you follow him to greater things? 